Welcome to the Business Sphere. On this podcast, we want to share real stories and real struggles from entrepreneurs who have been where you are. John Fong interviews business professionals and entrepreneurs in many fields to uncover their successes and challenges. We take a deep dive into their journey and provide you with tips and advice to help your business today. Thank you for tuning into the Business Sphere. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode. My guest today is the CEO of Equilibria. I think I said it right, but you can <laughs> clarify that. And the author of Word's first book on business infrastructure, Alicia Butler-Pierre. Her firm specializes in operations management and increasing bandwidth for fast-growing small businesses. Thanks for being on the show, Alicia. Thank you so much, John, for having me. So I do apologize. I know I... I oh, it's okay. Pronounce it's your okay. Name. You know what? I always tell people, as long as you don't just say a completely different name, like Ashley or Allison, we're good. Okay, we're good. <laughs> so for all the listeners that don't know who you are, if you don't mind sharing with them how you became the CEO author, but maybe take them through that journey on how you became who you are today. Sure. Well, I can, I, I won't go too far back in time. Maybe I can start with my decision to become an engineer. And that started, John, when I was a senior in high school. And I had a chemistry teacher who coincidentally is actually Ukrainian and, you know, considering everything going on in the world right now, but um, it was my Ukrainian chemistry teacher who took a particular interest in what I was going to become as an adult. And truthfully, John, my very first passion was journalism. So I, I originally wanted to go to college or university to become a journalist. But I also discovered this love that I had for chemistry as a student in high school. And by the time I was in my last year of high school, and you know how you start filling out applications to go on to university. So I was at going through that stage and this particular teacher, Mrs. Kablis is her name. She just had this, this interest in, in what I was going to do. I said, you know, I think I'm going to switch my major from journalism to chemistry. And she said, well, why don't you think about chemical engineering? Because as a chemist, you're going to have to go all the way up to the PhD level before you start to make any real money. But as a chemical engineer, you can come out of school, you know, just four or five years later, and you can make a lot of really good money. So the motivation, John, <laughs> was to make money. I didn't know a thing about chemical engineering. So I start university, finish five years later. And I started working at a company called Monsanto. Oh, yeah. I'm sure you've heard of it. <laughs> and I always preface, I should preface that by saying, you know, don't judge me. Um, but, but I will say this, when I was at Monsanto, it, I worked as a process engineer. And what that means, John, uh, for your, your listeners who may not know what that means, I literally was responsible as a process engineer for figuring out anytime we made a particular batch of Roundup, which is a, the weed killer that that was the product that, that I was making. So let's say if, if we produced a certain batch of that Roundup and for, for whatever reason, it didn't meet specification. I, as the process engineer had to figure out what went wrong in the production of that particular batch 
to cause it to not meet the specification. So, so these, these skills of being investigative, analyzing, troubleshooting, those are just naturally kind of in my blood, but it really became ingrained when I worked as an engineer. And something else really pivotal happened to me during my time at Monsanto, and that is the discovery that I didn't understand business. I didn't understand the language of business, which is accounting. So John, we would have these, these accountants who would come and visit us every month, uh, whatever unit you worked in within this particular chemical plant, and they would produce these really thick reports and talk to us about things like equity and liabilities and profit loss, accounts receivable, accounts payable. And it was, it was as though they were speaking a foreign language. I didn't understand it. I knew the technical aspect of my job, but I didn't understand the business aspect. And so I decided to go back to school. I was working full-time during the day, going to business school at night. And I'm gonna speed up this story, I promise. <laughs> but eventually I, I pursued my, my MBA and I graduated in December of 2004, abruptly relocated. I was in New Orleans, Louisiana. I'm originally from Louisiana here in the States. And I relocated to Atlanta, Georgia, um, didn't know anyone, knew one person to be exact, but I saw Atlanta as a land of milk and honey in comparison to <laughs> New Orleans. And six months later, Hurricane Katrina happened. So um, it was a good time to make a move, even though it seemed absolutely insane. And that's one of the things that I, I'm hoping those who are listening to my story right now will pick up on is Sometimes you have these gut feelings, those intuitive thoughts. It doesn't seem rational. You can't make sense of it. And when you share your ideas with other people, they're going to think you're absolutely insane. But if that intuitive thought or feeling just won't go away, you probably need to act on it. And thankfully I acted on mine and it led to me relocating to a new city and meeting new people. And what started off as an initial job search, John, after about 60 days of <laughs> either getting an endless stream of rejections or just not hearing anything at all, I decided to start my company, Equilibria, because I figured, you know, for the same amount of time, effort, and energy that I'm spending trying to get a J-O-B working for someone else, I could redirect that same time, effort, and energy into creating an opportunity for myself, something that I'm truly passionate about, built around my natural skills, talents, and abilities. And that's what led me to initially starting my company, Equilibria. And here we are 16 years later, which is so hard to believe, but um, it's been a wild, crazy, wacky ride, but I would not trade it for anything. Wow. I mean, I know that was a lot. <laughs> no, but that's very interesting because, um, you know, you, you started a business not because of, um, again, it's like when you're forced to make a decision, right? And you either mm -hmm. go get a job and you, you know, you either start entry level or whatever, and you do your, I guess, experience, your credentials allow and your expectations were at a certain point and when you're not met with 
satisfactory opportunities, you have to make decisions. And like you mentioned, you moved from Louisiana to Atlanta, and that was a huge moment in your life as well. Career shift, not knowing people, new culture, even though U.S., it's still in the U.S. Yes. Completely different region, how people live in a big city versus coastal. I mean, it's, I, I'm sure I'm in Toronto, Canada. So yes. for us, it's even a little bit more different, but again, large city like Chicago, New York, LA, um, you know, now it's Atlanta, right? It's like really big. Um, <laughs> so I, I would love to ask you a couple things. Okay. Because um, all my entire family, like I have three siblings, all of them went for engineering. And oh, all wow. of them are also, you know, they got their stamp, they got whatever it is, PhD, whatever it was, <laughs> and they continued pursuing their thing, right? And they enjoyed it, but they never pivoted to becoming an o- owner, entrepreneur. And mm. it's, it takes a different mindset because you've been trained in, you know, science, engineering, chemistry, whatever, like that whole science background to think differently, like they always are very cautious kind of individuals mm. um, versus business are risk takers are not uncertain. Like there's no uh, reliance on stable income. You have to learn it. And it's a new language altogether, right? Like I yes. went to school for business and I stuck with sales, marketing, business and et cetera. But even from your career, you also work at Monsanto, Monsanto, and I read a ton of book on it, a book on <laughs> science, and I know how, you know, different it is to work in it than what it's perceived on the outside. Yes. There's no judgment all, at all, but it's more about, you know, it's like pharma companies, right? I know there's good and bad to it all, but in right. the end of the day, is it good for humans at what level, right? And right. Depending on where you're at in the organization and company, you're doing it for survival usually, right? Like paycheck, shelter, food, needs, necessity. Uh, so like if you have family, you need to survive. But when you take a step back and then align it to your values, I mean, it's completely different. So how was the experience working there? Um, and maybe share with listeners what that company did and you know how you kind of pivoted away from it and why oh wow i'm so glad you're asking that question because no one ever really asks me about well what did you actually do at monsanto and what was what were your experiences like so thank you for that john my very first position when i worked there and i was really young i was like 22 years old fresh out of out of university and I worked, so whenever you are in a production facility, it's very rare that you work from the raw materials or whatever the source materials are all the way to the finished product. We have what we call units. So one unit might just be handling a very small portion of the overall production process. The part of the production that I first worked in, and again, remember, we're talking about Roundup. And for, for your listeners who may not be familiar with what it is, it's, it's an herbicide or a weed killer. So I was making poison. <laughs> um, and to your point, John, I was, I was so excited to have a job, number one, and I was paid very well. 
I graduated from school without any debt. I had an, a very nice apartment. I had a very good life. And there was no reason for me to challenge anything. And there's something else really important that you said that sometimes you can be inside of these large companies, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you are privy to everything that goes on. And that certainly was the case for me. Everything was still very much siloed. I learned more about Monsanto once I left the company than when I was actually there. I started watching these different documentaries. And as you said, there's all kinds of books out there and anything around pharma pharmaceuticals or, or just environmental issues, um, uh, genetic, genetically modified foods. Monsanto is usually almost always a part of that conversation. But getting back to your original question, so my very first job there was working in one of the production units and literally working as that process engineer. So whenever things, you're, you're kind of, you're in maintenance mode for the most part, but the minute something goes wrong, you have to step, step up and figure out what happened. And so in a unit, you can have a process engineer, you can have a mechanical engineer because there's so many mechanical pieces, right? We're talking about equipment. And there's usually also an electrical engineer because there are electrical, there's electrical wires that are communicating that connect the equipment to the monitors in the control room so that you can literally know what's going on outside without having to necessarily be outside. So when things go wrong, we all kind of band together to figure out, well, well what was it? Was it something mechanically related? Was it elect, elect, some type of an electrical wiring issue? Was it truly process related? Was there a chemical imbalance somewhere? And if so, why? Um, and then eventually I started working in different part, different units, but ultimately I landed in the environmental engineering group. And the reason John was because I hated being in the actual day-to-day -day production. It was, I'll just say this, it was no place for a young lady. Um, and unfortunately, these aren't things that you're taught when you're in school. It's not until you actually get out there and you realize how harsh of an environment it really is. Um, just the working conditions themselves and the, the things that you have to deal with. You know, again, I'm a young single woman in a, a very male dominated environment. And it was, it was very challenging. So there's the challenge of dealing with the, the aspects of your actual job, but then also the challenges of navigating a work culture like that. So when I finally landed in the environmental engineering group, I'll tell you what my, my personal breaking point was. There was a community in Anniston, Alabama, and they were suing the company, Monsanto for things that happened back in, I believe it was like the 1960s, 1970s, a large swath of that population of, of children who were born during that time were born with birth defects or very rare forms of certain diseases like cancer. And it, was, it took them a really long time to prove this point, but it was attributed to chemicals that were being illegally dumped into their water streams. And at the time, Monsanto owned the company that was doing this illegal dumping, although they didn't own it at the time that the lawsuit was being brought. So I just remember 
get kind of getting into it with one of my coworkers, she was basically asking me, hey, you know, if the media starts calling, lie. Bas- literally, just, just say, we, you don't know anything, you don't know anything about, about it. And I told her I, I wasn't, I was not going to do that. And so she got really frustrated with me and asked that I just start to forward the phone calls to her directly so that she could deal with it. But I knew, John, that I didn't have a future there, but I did learn a lot. And eventually I left Monsanto and I started working at a small family-owned engineering consulting firm. And that's what gave me that taste of entrepreneurship, small business, because I went from being in this very large corporate environment where I was in a silo to being a very small family-owned business. There was no hierarchy. There, there wasn't, um, there wasn't the, uh, the, the kind of drama that you go through sometimes in a corporate setting where people are kind of a lot of backstabbing, trying to climb up the quote unquote corporate ladder. There is no ladder usually in a small business, especially a family owned business because it's more than likely going to be a family member who, who holds some of the higher positions in the company. But the reason I bring up my, my experience working at that smaller consulting firm is that that really gave me a taste of the interconnectedness of all of the departments that make up a company. So accounting, techno- you know, IT, technology, there's the day-to-day operations, the engineering group, the, the HR piece. I was able to see how all of that, the sales and marketing as, as, you, as you deal with, I was able to see how all of those different aspects of business come together to make things function and happen on a day-to-day basis. That's amazing. I, I mean, I love that story of you just explaining to the listeners about Monsanto and that culture, blue collar work environment. If you've ever worked in a factory trades job or different industries, it's pretty rough out there. It's like Mm -hmm. getting book smart. If you're reading school smart, there's street smart, but it's also like the, the corporate manufacturing smart as well. You have to navigate it until you mm-hmm. live it. You cannot explain how it is. And you have to really figure out if this is going to be suitable for you or not. If you can endure the kind of harshness that comes with it. <laughs> and that's reality, right? And then you were able to then figure out your values, right? On right. alignment. Uh, because if anyone, you know, if you were raised, you know, as a, any individual, you should be truthful, honest, and try to do things that are right. But certain situations and circumstances, you have to make decisions, right? You're forced to um, figure out if a job, career, livelihood, this income is something you will continue doing uh, for that money and kind of move away from your values. Because usually people have good morals and uh, they want to be able to sleep at night and do the right thing. But I know in society, there are people out there that will do whatever it takes for monetary rewards, right? Yes. So these are things that it's great that you're sharing this because I worked at a large corporation, which was Yellow Pages. And uh, it was, again, it was trick 
absolutely a great work environment not like Monsanto we never got sued lawsuit it was a legitimate business everything was good <laughs> um, but it was more like the transition was happening because Google was kind of taking over mm. um, so for me it was like learning about the corporate environment on sales marketing HR um, everything that goes on production operations uh, fulfillment everything that you're talking about IT um and then all the software included. So I was able to then work with small business owners and understand the corporate environment to start my own agency. But even for yourself, this is where you saw there was a gap because you worked in the SMB, family-run business, mm -hmm. and then you were then able to figure out where, where the gaps are because you saw what a large corporation did. And now it comes to you know, starting this business of yours. So right. how was it for the first couple of years? Because again, it's different for every individual, but I'm sure, you know, to get the ball rolling, to get it off the ground, um, if you don't mind sharing with the listeners. Sure, sure, absolutely. Years, how did you survive? Because I think it was, you know, 80% of businesses don't make it past, what, three or five years? Yes. Um, so how are you continually smiling and loving what you're doing <laughs> after 16 years? Because I'm a little crazy, John. Uh, no, but seriously, um, you know, I love, I'm looking at your background and you're surrounded by all of these amazing books um, and I recognize many of them. And truthfully, that's where my, my entrepreneurial journey started is with books, reading. And in, back in 2005, John, it just so happened that everything I happened to read and sometimes watch because I'm a huge documentary buff as well. But all of those things that I was reading and, and maybe even watching all started talking about the fact that we're all blessed with these natural skills, talents, and abilities. But when you think about it, through our quote unquote educational system, we're, we're really being groomed to go and work for someone else, right? We're not taught to capitalize on our natural skills, talents, and abilities. So as I'm reading all of these things and I'm I start to reflect and think to myself, well, what is it that I'm naturally really good at? And for me, it was organizing. I started to notice that as the common thread, no matter whether I was flipping burgers at, at a, a fast food restaurant as a teenager or working as an engineer, what was it that I was, what made me good at my jobs? It wasn't because I was the smartest person in the room. It was because I was very organized. So Equilibria, my company, actually began as a professional organizing company. And here's what happened, John. Back in 2005, I started noticing that now here's the engineer in me. You know, I started analyzing, well, of all of the clients that I've worked with in my first year of business, hmm, they were all home-based entrepreneurs. And it wasn't that these were people who were chronically disorganized, and they certainly by no means would be considered hoarders, but they were operating businesses from their home and they just needed systems and processes in place to keep things in order because they had everything else going on, going on in their homes, but then they had to have that one dedicated space where they could keep things pertaining to the business in order. And sometimes, you know, chaos ensues and it's difficult to figure that piece out. So it wasn't necessarily that I was I did organize a few closets and maybe even a garage or two, but for the most part, 
I was organizing home offices. And I realized, John, my, my competitive advantage was the fact that I had that engineering background, was the fact that I understood process. I understood workflow. I understood systems. I understood the need to take all of these what seemingly seems to be disparate things and bring them all together. That was what became my competitive advantage. And over time, I realized I had to drop the description of professional organizing and replace it with business infrastructure. Because we're talking about building a solid foundation upon which you can continue to grow and ultimately scale your business. I remember listening to one of your previous episodes, I think with her, her name is Eleanor Beaton, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And I love that episode so much because you all talked a lot about what it takes to scale and the importance of having that infrastructure. And it just warmed my heart to even hear you all say the word infrastructure. But that is, that is how I began Equilibria is as that professional organizing company. And the reason I can still smile, the reason I can, the reason I've survived truthfully, John, is from listening and, and putting my ego aside. You know, it's so tempting when we first start anything new. We think we know what other people want. We think we know who our customers are going to be and what they want. But it's not until you actually get it out there, your product or your service, and you let them tell you what they want and how they want to use your product or service. And if you don't continue to listen to them, you'll be out of business real fast. And I think what's so brilliant about the example you brought up during, about your time at the Yellow Pages, just think if they had been paying attention, they wouldn't have been caught off guard maybe by a Google, right? Or a Yahoo, or um, I even think about the story of Blockbuster, right? And how Netflix just completely demolished them. But if they had been paying attention to the trends and really listening and paying attention to changes in consumer preferences, they may not have, they may still be around. So that's what I by and large attribute my longevity in business to is just listening and putting ego aside. That's amazing that you're sharing this. Um, I wanted to also ask you, I know early days of running a business, you know, there's times that you probably had to sit down and say, should I continue or should I just get a job? Because of what you were paid, being paid prior, you have, you went to school, you're educated, smart, you have some experience and you know what you're worth mm -hmm. versus trying to go out and learn sales and marketing, try to get customers, service them, do the work. Like how challenging was that at that time? And looking back, what could you have done differently or would you have changed anything? It's incredibly challenging. And I'll tell you a big part of it for me, aside from the occasional feelings of self-doubt and questioning yourself, like, have I gone mad? You know, am I crazy? Why would I leave behind this plush lifestyle that I had, this very comfortable lifestyle to intentionally venture into the unknown? And, and it wasn't as though, John, I created a business where there was already a blueprint. It wasn't like I started an accounting firm. I didn't start a law practice. 
or a medical clinic or, or a typical consulting firm that with a service that people are already familiar with, I was creating something truly from scratch. There was no blueprint. I'll tell you one of the most challenging things in the beginning, which is something that is really difficult to grapple with for any entrepreneur probably, is the chatter from other people, friends, family. What are you doing, John? Have you lost your mind? You had this great job at Yellow Pages. Why do you wanna start this business? What, what, what the hell is SEO? What are you even talking about? How do you know that it's going to work? What if it doesn't, what if it doesn't work? What if it fails? And, and you just, these are people that love you and they care about you, but they're projecting their fear onto you. And John, I had to learn how to, how to keep quiet as, as, you know, I hate to say it, but I, you can't share your dreams with everyone because some people, they, they allow their fear for you to kind of creep out. And if, if you aren't careful, you can, you can completely absorb all of that negative energy and, and those feelings of self-doubt and the fear starts to creep in and you start to, to say, well, you know what, if everybody is questioning me, then it must, maybe I can't do this. Maybe I, I do, I am having illusions of grandeur. I don't know. So I had to learn how to navigate around that. And for many, many, many years, John, whenever family members would ask me, so how's business? Says, Great. My answer was always the same. Great. Well, how many cuts? Oh, you know, everything's fine. It's lovely. It's wonderful. I never went into detail because I just, I didn't, I didn't ever want to make space mentally and emotionally for any doubt and fear to creep in. I hope that makes sense. I to it totally does because <laughs> I get it after running my agency for nine years. First couple of years were challenging to say the least, but it was only entrepreneurs that have made it past five years to really understand. So yes. a couple questions there I wanted to ask you. So it's great that you're sharing that there were a lot of people that love you dearly, that will want to support you no matter what, that you trust, um, that are in your inner circle, but they're going to try to help you, but they don't really understand what you're going through mm -hmm. because they've never endured it themselves. Were there people instrumental in your life at those moments, those years, early years, because I know you're a big content absorber, right? Reading books, watching videos, but were there people, coaches, mentors, um, conferences, speakers, communities, people that you kind of gravitate towards? Because if you, if I look back, there were only a couple people that I actually let in during those times mm. because they were supporting me. And they kind of saw what I was envisioning in terms of my true vision, right? And my goals, aspirations. But a lot of these other people, I mean, yes, they love you. They will do whatever for you, but they don't really understand what you're doing. Right. So that is so people, true. Were there people in your life at that moment? Because you kind of left everything behind. Mm-hmm. I know. I sure did. I left everything behind. And when I first relocated, I remember I, I looked, I, speaking of the yellow pages, there was still a phone book <laughs> at that time. And I, I literally remember 
opening the phone book, going to the yellow pages and looking up different business organizations. And I just started going to these meetings. And John, I remember going to Office Depot and buying one of those Avery template packs for business cards. I had a, a tiny desk jet printer. I whipped up some business cards. I, I knew enough to, to go to a, a business function with business cards in hand. And just to let you know how bad it was. Now, remember, I'm, I'm an engineer, right? Or I had been an engineer for many years up to that point. I didn't own a business suit. So I had sticker shock when I went to the department store trying to, to buy a business suit and I just couldn't, the engineer in me just couldn't bring myself to pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a brand new um, business suit. So I actually went to a Goodwill or a thrift store and that's how I got my first set of business suits. And I took them to the dry cleaners and got them all really nice and you know, and I started going to these different business organizations, their networking events, and I just started meeting people. And eventually, I, I think it's important to share this part of the story. As I started meeting and, and talking with different people, I started finding my people, right? People who are right at the same stage as me, kind of just starting out, trying to figure things out. We're navigating. We're both in, you know, we're both new to the city. One of my dear friends, her name is Kimba Morgulski. Um, Kimba was that person for me when I first started out, and we still communicate to this very day. We were just starting around the same time, and we actually met at a Chamber of Commerce meeting. We just happened to sit at, um, we happened to attend the same event one day. We sat at the same table, and we just struck up a conversation and we understood each other and we looked out for each other. We shared resources with each other. We checked in with each other because to your point, John, your family and your close friends, unless they've gone through this, they it will be very difficult for them to understand what you're going through. But when you have people around you who are also, especially if, if they're at that same point in their journey as you, as you are, it just makes it that much more powerful because now you have a buddy to kind of go through this journey with. But also you mentioned mentors, absolutely. As I started networking, I also met older people. I met people who may have been around my age but still had been in business much longer. I just built up this network of people. But I'll tell you one of the most important organizations that I joined was Toastmasters. And for those of you who are listening, Toastmasters is an international organization. That organization, and it's, when you look at the membership fee, it's, it's so, you know, it's so inexpensive compared to other professional organizations that you may join. But when I think about the value that I've gotten out of Toastmasters, it's, it's a professional speaking organization, but their whole their whole purpose is to help build up your leadership skills. And when you think about it, great leaders are great communicators. Um, and when you, you know, so I, I just, I joined Toastmasters, met great friends through Toastmasters. And what's interesting about Toastmasters is not all of my friends from that organization are also entrepreneurs, but they understand that importance of being able to communicate. So that's something else that kind of binds us together. But absolutely, join those organizations, network, 
You're going to kiss a lot of frogs, proverbial frogs, before you meet that quote unquote prince or princess. But you have to, that's just part of the game, right? You're playing the numbers and eventually you will find your tribe, that trusted community of people that you can rely on um, to just bounce out ideas off of, literally cry on their on each other's shoulders and and just kind of go through this entrepreneurial journey together. That's amazing that you're sharing this because at least you're showing, you know, the, the reality of how it is when you're mm -hmm. starting off. And mm -hmm. it's challenging to find people at the right stages similar to yours going through the same challenges of starting their business and wanting to survive and grow and scale because you were living a comfortable kind of job before but you took this risk and hopefully it was a calculated risk to really <laughs> fulfill a need in the marketplace to put yourself out there to, and you acknowledge your gaps which were leadership skills speaking um going out there and networking you know the marketing aspects going out there yes. getting a business suit going <laughs> out there getting a business card all these things you know for a lot of people who are entrepreneurs they don't have that skill set and they don't even know where to start and how to start but you mm -hmm. got out there learned read a ton of content met a lot of people learn from doing taking action right and I yes. love and that's what i mean about entrepreneurs because we will continue going as long as we know that there's survive like it's a survival point at the beginning but as you continue doing it you get smarter faster you become more efficient productive you get everything becomes easier yes, right? um, yes. just yes. like what you do right now for smbs which is trying to optimize the structure of the business right by creating standard operating procedures understanding where the gaps are for all the different pillars within an organization where are things that we can improve to become more efficient productive how can we streamline efficiencies cost structure uh, understand pnl or hire an accountant understanding hr or hire uh, someone that manages people really well right yes um, so now let's talk about your business because i know we talked about the journey mm -hmm. um, what exactly is it that you do in your organization and how has it evolved over the years because you kept talking about listening and trying to figure <laughs> out who you wanted to uh you know offer services to and you kind of figured out it was more for the businesses versus the individuals Right. And thank you so much for that question. And I'm going to refer back to, again, another interview. It was such a great interview that you did with, with Eleanor, because I remember at another point, she talked about uh, productizing her services into programs. And I had to do something very similar. John, when I first started, you're just so happy to get anyone who's interested in what you have to offer that you, you pretty much take on anything. And that was certainly the case for me. There was absolutely no discernment whatsoever. Oh, you want to, can I do this? Can I develop a project plan for you? Yes, sure, I can do that. Can you come organize my home office? Yep, I can do that too. I was a jack of all trades and a master of none. And I was quickly wearing myself thin. And a very, another friend of mine um, that I came to be, that has become a, a very good friend, 
also met her. She was one of the first people that I met when I, when I relocated here. Her name is Louisa. Louisa had a heart-to-heart -heart conversation with me one day, and she said, you have got to figure out how to package your services. You're all over the place. And I knew she wasn't saying it to be hurtful. She was coming from a place of love because she saw what it was doing to me. And, and I, was, I was trying my best to keep up with everything. And I was running myself into the ground. I really was. So what I did, I, I live here in Atlanta, Georgia. And in the Northern part of the state, there are, it's very mountainous. So I literally booked a, it was a bed and breakfast. And because I was in the mountains, there was no cellular service, no internet whatsoever. So it's just you and your thoughts. <laughs> and I, I took a bunch of index cards, John, and I wrote down the name of every service I had ever provided up to that point onto individual index cards. And I started to group them together. And there were some outliers, but I ended up with seven distinct groups of services that I had provided across a number of different types of industries, different sizes of organizations, but it all kind of distilled down to these seven unique services. So I then had my package, so to speak, my package of seven services. Well, now I needed a name for it. So those seven package services officially became a framework for creating business infrastructure. And the name that I gave it originally was Klonos, which is Greek for clone, because the idea is once you figure out all of these distinct seven elements or seven services, you in essence can now replicate your business over and over and over again. And that's how you can ultimately scale it. But Klonos was too close to uh, uh, the name of a, an existing software out there called Kronos, which is Greek for time. So I thought, how can I come up with a really distinct name? So I tapped into my love of ancient civilizations, the ancient Egyptian civilization being one of many that I am very fond of. And I reached out to an Egyptologist and I asked for if he could help me come up with um, an ancient Egyptian word for clone or something that to indicate duplication or replication. And he told me Senu, S-E-N-N-U. And so I took the word Ka, I already knew the ancient Egyptian word Ka, which, is, which means spirit. And so I said, okay, I'm gonna call this framework Ka Senu. So the idea is to replicate the spirit or the essence of what makes your business so great in the first place. So now I have the, these, this packaged service offering, this packaged framework. Then it became a matter of how do I market this? And why didn't I know you, John, <laughs> when, I first, when I first started putting this out there? Because, you know, there's, there's sales and marketing and business development is so layered. There's so many things that you can try. And truthfully, I was using the spaghetti, throwing the spaghetti at the wall approach and seeing what would stick. But ultimately, what, what ended up happening is after 13 years, 13 years, I finally wrote a book. And that's when everything changed in my business. 
up to then I was doing projects. I was doing work here and there. And there were some really dark moments. There were moments when I just decided to go and do contract work for a larger company. I still kept the business going on the side, but that contract with that much larger organization is what was paying the bills. Okay. But I still never let the business die. I still never let the dream die. I just had to temporarily work a contract here and there to keep the lights on, so to speak. Um, but it was it wasn't until I wrote the book in 2018 that things really started to, that was the tipping point. The, I'm sure you have that book somewhere in your collection by Malcolm Gladwell, The Tipping Point. That was my tipping point was writing the book. That's amazing. I, I mean, I, I am so inspired by your dedication because going through so many years of trial and error and figuring out how to productize your business mm -hmm. framework, figure out who your personal ideal type of client is. And then that sales and marketing piece altogether, understanding how you're going to be that authority figure or expert in whatever it is, and then get it out there because there's so much noise out there. There's so many different formats, content. There's so many different ways to market yourself. And then navigating through all of that to figure out what's best for you to then go after the right type of clients that will pay the bills <laughs> and then hopefully grow right and scale and survive not only survive but then eventually hire more people and scale your business right um and throughout that it still sounds like you're having fun because even though some moments i'm sure as an entrepreneur you kind of reflect and say why don't i just go get a job why don't i get that stability of what it was before which is you know 60, 80, 100K job, paycheck every two weeks, less worries, you tap in at eight, leave at five, <laughs> you know, all the stress <laughs> removed. But you took on this journey of, and these are moments that I kind of look at before as well. And I'm like, no one understands why. Yes. But, but then there's a bigger reason why you're doing it, which is, hopefully to impact more people, to yes. give more value to others, letting people know that there's uh, people out there that wants to help them survive, become more efficient, acknowledge their gaps, right? Understand like, like SEO is a very complex industry altogether. So I try to simplify it for a lot of people. Um, but that that's, you know, for you, it's trying to simplify for the SMBs, uh, that entire infrastructure that you learn in a large organization, corporation, to then make sure that they can streamline their costs and be more productive end of the day so that their P&Ls are much more profitable for, you know, whatever it is. Like they can take home more, they can give more, they can make more of an impact, etc. You said that so well, John. I want to just I want to pack, package that up and use that as my uh, a selling tool in, in some capacity. You, you said that so well. Um, just talking about the complexities of search engine optimization, you're right. The same is true with just bringing up the topic of operations. Because unfortunately, operations takes, and, and operations, when I say operations, I mean literally what's going on behind the scenes, what's going on underneath the hood of that car or behind the proverbial curtain. 
Operations, unfortunately, takes a backseat to sales and marketing related activities. And obviously, of course, no one would ever argue that sales and marketing don't matter. It absolutely matters. But what happens, John, when your what your customers they're working with with you and local search engine, you know, local SEO, the name of your company, and then all of a sudden they go from not having enough business to having too much. What if, as a result of the work that your company is doing for your clients, all of a sudden they have so much traffic going to their websites that their websites run the risk of crashing? That tells me you haven't taken a look at your operations. You've spent so much time focusing on attracting the customers that once they come to you, you don't, you literally aren't able to supply the demand. So I would never say don't focus on sales and marketing. You absolutely have to, but show operations some love also, because I, it's funny, you know, in Toronto, I love Toronto, by the way, I've had some of my best working experiences in Toronto. And I remember there was a client I worked with once out there and she was, she was getting frustrated with the sales team. She said, you know, they sell the dream, but we deal with the nightmare. And that's kind of how <laughs> the relationship typically goes between sales and operations, but it doesn't have to be an adversarial relationship. You can break down those silos and, and talk together and figure out, okay, hey, if I'm going to go out and sell this, do we truly have the operational capacity? If this thing really takes off, what if it does go viral? You know, can we handle it? And that is the question that I pose. And that is why I say I focus on working with fast growing small businesses, John, because those are the companies who are usually more receptive to the things that you and I are talking about right now. But if we were to go to a typical startup, they don't care about process and workflow and systems. No, they care about the stuff that you do and, and rightfully so and understandably so. But what we want to put out there in the world is this idea that once you start to build up that strong customer base, and the business is, is coming fast and furious, do you have the operational structure, the business infrastructure in place to support that growth? Businesses can fail not only from not having enough customers, they can also fail from having too many. And I, I wanna bring up this point also because there was something really important that you said, and that is, you know, how do you keep yourself motivated? How do you keep yourself going? during those moments where you're just down and you're out and you're having, you, you don't just have a bad day, you might have a bad month, a bad year. I watch a lot of documentaries about other entrepreneurs. I read, you know, I have tons of books and I'm sure you do too, written about or by other entrepreneurs, just biographies, autobiographies. And as you start to read these stories, and it doesn't even have to be about other entrepreneurs, it could be about just other famous people in general. There's almost always a struggle of some sort. And I don't know if your listeners are familiar with this, but um, Joseph Campbell, he wrote the, the Hero's Journey. That's, you look at any, any hero in any story, and I, I always like to position us as entrepreneurs as the heroes of our own stories. You're gonna have that those cycles of pain and, and serious discomfort. 
But if you just keep going, if you are tenacious enough and you are persistent enough, you will come out on the other side. And on the other side is it's things are flowing. It works seamlessly. It's not perfect. It will never be perfect. But the struggle that you had initially goes away. And then when moments of chaos start to creep in again, you at least know how to prepare for it because you've been through it already. Oh, I mean, this is a great conversation <laughs> because, you know, I, I understand so much about your struggles. Uh, I'm not as many years into business ownership, but I understand how challenging it is for small, medium-sized businesses or fast-growing businesses to not have that bandwidth operationally to fulfill the dreams. Because mm -hmm. if, if you have segmented workforce from sales marketing, operations production, you know, in-house or outsource, a lot of departments, right? And they're not in alignment and they're promising the world, but then there's gaps because retention's low, customer service complaints are out the door. Like you don't have a sustainable business mm -hmm. altogether. So everything has to be in equilibrium. They have to yes. really <laughs> be in alignment more than anything so that you can take yourself to the next level, whatever that may be. Because if you're too heavily weighted on sales and marketing and you're not in alignment because capacity bandwidth or whatever it is, is not efficient. The workflows are out of line. There's always backlogs. It's not running operationally. There's going to be problems and the client may not see it, but eventually they will. And yes. then there's going to be gaps. There's going to be complaints. There's going to be backlogs. There's going to be major problems. Um, and it depends on what you want out of your business, because a lot of people started their business through VC angel investors or, you know, tech startups or, or if it's a bootstrap kind of in business like the SMBs, what makes them happy? What are they really wanting to be successful? Not mm. everyone wants to be fast growing, but right. they just want a stable income to support their livelihood, family and friends to then be able to have a little bit of freedom and choice to do things when they want, how they want, you know, where they want. Um, so depending on what kind of business you want to run, operate and, you know, sustain for many years, you have to make decisions, right? And that's mm -hmm. where I, I, I know this has been a great conversation, um, but Thank I know you. we've been going for quite a bit. And I wanted to ask you just the last final question. So where do you see your business? Who is your ideal avatar persona right now? And where do you see yourself in the next couple of years, five years, 10 years down the road? Um, really quickly, the, where I see the company going is uh, hopefully I can sell it. That is my end game because I recognize that I can only get it to a certain point and that I don't have the skills necessary to get it to that next level. I recognize that in myself. I've accepted that and I'm okay with that. Um, so we are 
packaging, speaking of packaging again, we are packaging that knowledge and actually creating courses. So one of the things we've done, we've just literally completed it, is an audio masterclass that is available wherever you listen to podcasts. So it's completely free. But after that, we're going to start launching some online courses, John. And we already have a small college in Massachusetts right outside of Boston that has expressed an interest in licensing the course. And so we want to start to introduce it to other universities around the world, even incubator type programs for entrepreneurs, again, all over the world. So that is the direction that Equilibria is going in, is actually teaching other people this methodology so that they too can start to work with their respective clients. Um, there was another part to your question. I'm sorry. What was it? Yeah. So you're you're growing through aggregators or people that are selling mm -hmm. courses um, and then your exit strategy is really to um, sell the business right yes um, yes and how has it been for like the marketing piece because that's probably the hardest piece altogether. it is oh my gosh and you you of all people you know that better than anyone <laughs> i always tell people i mean very similar to your podcast right it's one thing to there's the pre-production, there's the production, but then there's the post-production. And that, that's where all the marketing goes into to play because marketing never stops. It's ongoing. And the, the to your point, John, the world is a, a very noisy place. It's only getting noisier. How do you get people's attention? It's very challenging and you have to meet people where they are. So I have an entire team built that you know there's there's a team that focuses just on our youtube channel there's a team that focuses on the social media aspects so the the instagram and twitter and linkedin and facebook <laughs> we have newsletters that we do we have pr my pr agent is actually the person who connected me to your show there's there's a whole little not a sweatshop but <laughs> there's a whole team behind me that's really the marketing muscle of Equilibria's operation, because without it, I mean, we'd be dead in the water, truthfully, and you have to meet people where they are. I, I, can't, I can't tell you that most of my clients are on one particular platform, because that's not necessarily true. They may be spread out over several platforms, nor can I tell you, well, they only want to read their content. That's not true either. Some people prefer to listen to their content. They want to listen to a podcast. You have those who might want to read a book. Then there are others who say, I want to see it. I need to see that YouTube video. So we have to be open and receptive to all of these different modes of communication and become truly omni-channel, right? In our delivery of our marketing content, it is more challenging than ever but I'm up for the challenge. And we have this, again, we have a team. Everybody kind of has his or her super superhero or superheroine strength. And, and that's, we just come together on a weekly basis and we just, we just make it happen. That's amazing to hear. It sounds like you're still having fun. And that's what- We are, because we're still learning. Yes. And as long as you're growing, learning, Yes, there's going to be a lot of pivots. There's going to be change. There's going to be some failure, regret, but that's learning experiences. And don't let it get to you, right? So um, it's it's fun. It's a part of it all, that journey. Um, but it's been a pleasure. 
I mean, there's been great nuggets there that a lot of listeners can uh, grasp and absorb and utilize for their own organizations. Um, so what's the best way people can reach out to you, check you out, uh, if you don't mind sharing some of your handles, social handles, or sure. your, your information, your book, etc.? Sure. The best way, and it serves as a hub for everything, is my personal website, which is aliciabutlerpierre.com. And when you get there, if you want to check out more about my podcast and the audio masterclass that I just mentioned, you can find out that information there. If you want to know more about my company, Equilibria, it will link you to that. You can find out more about my book and all of my social handles are on that website as well. Amazing. This has been a lot of fun, Alicia. Great to meet you. And you brought a lot of energy to the show. <laughs> Thank and you. You know, and it was great to learn about your journey. Um, and that's more important, right? Because 16 years of running a business, it's not easy to get past five years. So you still have that energy and you still are passionate doing what you on set, even though it's changed a couple of times, I'm sure, but you're still motivated to continue pursuing your dreams. You know what I love, if I may say this really, really quickly, what I love about the name of your show and what, you, what you're doing with your show, the business sphere. So, right, it's a circle. And when you think about it, I've kind of come full circle because remember I started off saying I wanted to be a journalist. I liked writing and then I went into engineering. Well, now, you know, with marketing, so much of marketing these days deals with content marketing, right? So I'm tapping back into those old journalism skills as well. So I just thought I'd, I'd mention that because again, I love the name of your show. I love what you're doing with your show. And I just thought it was interesting, you know, how, hmm, this has almost come full circle in my life. I'm I almost did. back where I started. Exactly. And <laughs> it might take you back to Louisiana as well. You never know. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> well, thanks a lot, Alicia. This has been a lot of fun. I'm ultra grateful for you um, being on the show, spending a lot of time um, committing to the show and adding a lot of value for the listeners. Thank Again, you so much. Thank you, John. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to our latest podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to The Business Sphere and share this episode. Tune in next week for more interviews from entrepreneurs.